0: And Jesus came along and gave him his sight. It's all good, right? Except when it's not. Let me tell you about all the people that turn their back on this blind man once he received his healing. Let's start with the new members of his fraternity, his new brothers, the disciples. First time they meet him, they meet him when he's blind, and they don't offer him something. He's probably begging because he has no means of making money. They don't give him anything. They don't reach a handout to them. Instead, they start a debate and they see Jesus. Why was he born blind? Did he sin? Because they believed it was possible you could sin in the womb. I've never been pregnant. I don't know. Or maybe your parents sinned. And so they turn this man and his unfortunate situation into a topic of debate. And he's in front of them, right in front of them. They can see him. He can't see them. He's blind. And they just want to talk about why he's blind. And they never reach out a hand to help him. Those are your new people in your fraternity as Christians. They love to debate. They love to talk about sin. And who's sinned and what you can do and what you can't do. But sometimes they're a little slow to lift their hands to go really help the people in need. Well, maybe you could count on the people you came from, the friends you had before you started following Jesus. But that doesn't work for this guy either. His old friend, buddies in the neighborhood. When they see him and he's got his sight back, they're like, uh, is that you? Is that, is that him? I don't know. Could be him. I'm not sure. Looks like him. And they talk all about you. But again, they never talk with you. Somehow, your church that you're joining has a habit of talking about instead of with when a situation comes up. That happens in the best of families, including the church. But this isn't even the church. These are his buddies, and they're doing the same thing. In fact, you know what they do? Now, if you're as old as me, you you know a name for this. Some of you may remember because it took place in 1963 and became a legendary event in TV history. You probably don't know what I'm talking about, but if I remind you, some of you will. Does anybody remember when Gomer Pyle made a citizen's arrest? (laughs) Remember that? I mean, and so at elementary school, like for the next year, people were going around making citizen's arrest. (laughs) Apparently Barney had ticketed Gomer. And then Barney made an illegal U-turn, and so Gomer went after him. Citizen's arrest. They brought him in to Sheriff Taylor, and Sheriff Taylor wouldn't even put a stop to it. Well, your friends made a citizen's arrest. They knew you were different. They couldn't explain it. So they grabbed you, and they took you to the pastors. Well, that should help, right? I mean, who else can you trust if you can't trust your clergy? Well, latest studies I saw on reliability and trustfulness, clergy are at 9%. 9%. Well, when you read stories like this, Gospel of John, you figure out why. They bring the man born blind, his buddies do, not his Christian buddies following Jesus, but his old buddies that they bring him in, they turn him in. And the preachers don't say, yay, God, this is amazing. Tell me what's it like to be blind all your life and now you can see. Let's thank Jesus. Let's thank God. Let's thank whoever did this. They don't. They just said, how'd this happen? Who did it? How'd they do it? And in the back of their mind, they're saying, and this is a Sabbath. You don't play with mud on the Sabbath and put it on people's eyes. You could trust the clergy, can't you? No. You want to join this group? Your new brothers and sisters may not always be eager to lend a hand. Your old friends may, not, may wonder what happened to you, and they may not accept you, and then you go to the clergy, and they will make you an object of debate and discussion. They looked at the same evidence. A man who was blind who now sees... And they couldn't even reach the same conclusion. Half the clergy thought, well, this is the work of God. And the other half, the clergy said, this man, Jesus, is a sinner. This cannot be the work of God. Where do you go? Who do you turn to now? Well, you can always turn to your parents, right? Thank God for family. What is it that is it Robert Frost said? Home is a place where when you go there, they have to take you in. Well, unless you're this guy's parents... Because apparently the clergy turned into Robert Mueller and they formed an investigation and they want to know all about this. And so as a part of their investigation, they subpoena the parents and they say, is this your son? What happened to him? And the parents' response was, look, he's old enough. He can speak for himself. You ask him, they didn't throw him a party. They didn't like teach him his colors Go out and look at the sky, the kind of things you would think a parent would celebrate. No, they just said, like, you're on your own, son. You're on your own. Well, the Gospel of John says they were afraid of being thrown out of the synagogue. Well, when the sermon gets long, you and I would probably like to be thrown out of church. But in those days, church wasn't just like a place where you gather for worship. It was like your community center. It was like your club, your bowling league, your tennis league. You were losing a lot of your social engagement when you were tossed out, and they didn't want to be tossed out. So between their son and being tossed out, they're like, "Mm, we'll let our son take his chances. You'd think parents would be glad when somebody decides to follow Jesus, right? I mean, shouldn't Friday night and Saturday night be a little less worrisome if they're following Jesus? But then, I don't know, have you ever had a kid follow Jesus? It would be a little nerve-wracking. I remember what I did to my parents. I started putting bumper stickers on my door about Jesus. Started carrying my Bible to high school. I think mom and dad were pretty worried. I mean, we love our kids. We want them to stay out of trouble, but we also want them to be accepted. We don't want to be weirdos. Well, he can't count on his parents either. He's run through everybody. His new friends, the disciples, they're not reliable. His old neighborhood, they don't want anything to do with him. They just wonder what happened. The clergy just find him an object to debate. His parents turn their back on him so they don't get thrown out of the club. Thank God for Jesus. You can count on Jesus, right? Except when you can't. You look at this story closely in John 9. Jesus shows up for the first few verses long enough to put some spit on the ground, some mud, put dirt on the guy's eyes and heal him and leave him to deal with it. Then Jesus is gone. And it's only after everybody else has turned their back on him that all of a sudden Jesus walks back in the picture. Only after you've been rejected by every person in the world you thought might accept you, your new friends, your old buddies your new religious leaders, your parents, when you've been rejected by everybody, when Jesus is absent, then at that very moment, he walks back in the picture. And you want to sign up for this? Your life is always going to be lived between the time you commit to Jesus, experience Jesus, and the time Jesus comes back again, which is a long time. But he does come back. And when he does come back, you know what he finds? A blind man who now sees and who is stronger than ever. Because part of the story I didn't tell you is when the religious leaders were turning up the heat on the investigation and asking harder and harder questions, the blind man, formerly blind, starts to push back. And he gets bolder and braver in his faith. Even though he's never seen Jesus with his own eyes, he has faith in him, and he grows stronger. You know, it strikes me that one of the things that Jesus is not is a helicopter parent. I I wish Jesus would just like kind of hover over me and clear out all the obstacles, but for some reason, he leaves me to struggle with things like opposition, criticism, and abandonment. And in the end, when he finds me again, I am stronger. So that's one of the reasons, I guess, I would do this. Sign up for this, even though you know in signing up for it, you're signing up for difficulty. But you're also signing up for growth and strength. And oh, by the way, who else are you going to sign up to follow? I mean, really? Is there a better deal out there? Who's offering it? What does it really lead to? Reminded of a story. Uh, A young man uh, that goes to, uh, or went to seminary at Duke, told this story. He said one night he had a dream. And in his dream, he came to like the outside of like a large, like almost like a circus tent. And on the outside of the circus tent was this big sign that said, come inside and find the key to meaning and fulfillment in life. And he thought, well, That sounds like a good deal. So he walked in. But he realized when he walked in, he had walked into an arcade. And they told him, you can't go any further unless you can score high enough on this game. I think it was Call of Duty Black Ops. And he thought, well, I didn't spend four years in college and three years of graduate school for nothing. I can play this game. That's what we did in our spare time. Sure enough, he scored high enough. And he got to go further, and this time... They escorted him into another area, and and it was like one of those Papa shot things with basketball, you know? And he said, all right, you get this many in a minute, you can go on. He wasn't nervous. He said, I go to Duke. It's a basketball, (laughs) right? Right, what's to worry about? Sure enough, he scored high enough. (laughs) Thought he was finished, but he wasn't. He got ushered into a room with two other people and a man who looked like a host. And the man said, and your next your next your next next is Bible trivia. (laughs) Not in seminary for nothing. Bring it on. The shortest verse in the Bible. Final Jeopardy. Music plays. He writes. And he doesn't write much, does he? Because he knows it's just two words. Jesus wept. Bells go off, he gets applauded, and they move him to the next room. Only it's not a room. It's like it's like a maze. Really? That's what it is. It's a maze. And he's all by himself and he's in the middle of it and he's thinking, Labyrinth. I can do this. I can do this. And he starts to maneuver his way around the maze. And sure enough, comes out the other end, bells go off, whistles, sound, and a voice says to him, congratulations, you've made it, come inside the theater and find the answer to meaning and fulfillment in life. So he's like, all right. So he goes in, and he's the only one in there. And the theater is like one of these 360-degree screens, goes all around him. So he sits down, and the voice says, here, now, the key to meaning and fulfillment in life. He gets comfortable, figures he might be there a while, and he waits. And flashed on the screen, this is what he said, he sees. It's written, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, John 14, 6. And he waits. There's there's more, right? And it just comes on and goes around the screen again. And he stands up and he yells at wherever that voice is and says, wait a minute, I already knew that. And the voice spoke back to him and said, you did? Then why did you waste time playing all those games? Why do you follow? Because anything else is a waste of your time.